Welcome to the Unstructured Podcast. In this two-part episode, I talk with trend researcher and strategist Sveti Onlo. After opening the first youth hostel in Bulgaria at the age of 19, a few years after the fall of communism, Sveti went on to study international business in the United States and become an expert in identifying trends and connections across art, business, and culture. Sveti and I talk about her consistent path of creating her own roles, becoming a trend strategist and how that role is changing, and the need for self-care in a career that runs 24-7. I'm Michelle Rose, and this is Unstructured. This episode was brought to you by Structure Society, the community for creators in art, design, and music. For almost a decade, Structure has brought together creatives from across the industrial, apparel, graphic, and sound design industries, building professional relationships, creating a platform for knowledge sharing, and raising the bar of product creation. From live events and workshops to publication and podcasting, Structure continues to evolve to build the strong creator community needed to craft our future. Find us at struktursociety.com and subscribe to our Substack at structuresociety.substack.com. When I was preparing for this interview, I was thinking about, um, I was trying to remember how we met because we've known each other for many years now. And I, I knew that I had met you at Structure Event at the conference. And I was trying to think, was it the first one? Was it the it second was the first one? And I was pretty sure it was the first one because you were working for Icebreaker. And mm-hmm. Icebreaker, the, the wool company, um, was one of the first sponsors. And it was because I had uh, previously worked with um, Kurt Foster. Uh, he was a designer and merchandiser at Columbia Sportswear. And so he brought Icebreaker on. And which was one of my favorite brands. And uh, and so Icebreaker was a big part of the event. And you were there. Yeah. And Kurt, it's a, you know, we were on the same team and he's a very dear friend of mine. <laughs> yeah. Even to this day. Even so that was about 10 years ago, almost 10 years. It was nine years. Nine years ago. So, and I remember you being there and then somehow we connected up later on and and now we're just connected so i don't know how we connected again um if you went to other events or i went to all of them okay so you know the path and you know the whole path of the structure yeah uh, yeah i was uh, i made a point to show up and attend but you know it was very special time um because, you know, right now there's so many things going on and so many events, but back then there was just nothing like this. And what felt different about structure, it was uh, very small and intimate. Yeah. It wasn't a big production conference, you know. Um, it really felt like a, like a community. Mm-hmm. And that was like, it's so special. I wonder why that didn't exist. Like why there were other there weren't a lot of other options for that. I haven't really dug into why that was the case. I mean, I think one of the reasons it's probably there were some forms, but they were you know it's a big money making machine, and you know it's usually owned by big conferences, and you know um, they have certain amount of. People they need to attract and it's just become this, you know, mass, mass thing. Or the other is it's so expensive, so inc- exclusive that you can't really, you know, attend. And what I liked about structure is that, you know, a lot of the creatives are in, you know, freelancers. We're not always, you know, I mean, back then I was with the company, so the company paid for my, my ticket, but, you know, a lot of the freelancers right now, um, when I look to attend events and, and whatnot, is just there's a price prohibitive factor. Mm-hmm. And I think with structure was still affordable, even if you work for yourself and um, you didn't have to 
go through the company. Right, right. Making it accessible was the key. So, well, thinking back on that time um, and getting to know you over the years as you worked with Icebreaker and moved out on your own, um, and as I've gotten to interview you and connect with you, I have really been struck with um, the the surprises that I'm sure people don't know about you. The entrepreneurship, you know, the tenacity, the creativity, the smarts. I mean, you're incredibly intelligent, both emotionally and 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 really picking up out, uh, on things in the world. Um, and I think the more I dig into your past um, and also, you know, what you're doing now uh, with with trend research, with developing strategies, with how you look at the world and how you connect everything up. Um, I, I, like I said, I've been really impressed and inspired by the things that I have been been learning more about you over time. And I'm excited about where that's going to take you, you know, and, and I'm really interested to hear a little bit more also about your background. And we talked about that. Um, and I'd like to have you talk a little bit more about that here. Um, you know, this, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just, well, just, you know, for, for a lot of us, you know, we don't know you, you grew up in Bulgaria and I would, say that most people here don't know a lot about that country, don't know a lot about what was going on there um, in general. And um, and so that's interesting in and of itself. But also at the time that you lived there, the time you were growing up, the things that you were doing and how you made your way here, um, it's really fascinating. Uh, it's really inspiring. You know, um, I, I really just want to dig into that a little bit more because I've heard it in when we talked in the last interview. But I'd like to talk about it now in terms of, as we were saying the other day, like the tearing down of old systems and building of new. Because when you're not necessarily growing, going back to, you know, I, I grew up here and I did this and I went to school and I went and did that, a little bit more about what it was like to grow up at a time of transition from, you know, communism to democracy, you know, a shift of the world, you know, that local world, but also its place in the greater world. So, you know, I recently started going back to my past because I kind of blocked it up for a very long time. Um, because somehow I felt that my past did not relate it to my present. And, but lately I've been thinking a lot about what actually defined me, you know, not just what I do, but like as a person. And I've been digging deeper and going um, back to my roots. And one of the first thing is that, you know, Bulgaria, actually, for those of you who don't know, it's at the crossroad of East and West, um, you know, it's, Eastern and Western culture borders Turkey. Um, and this is the, you know, just growing up in this culture where the, the crossroads of East and West always kind of like, um, taught me to look at things from the intersectional approach, you know, of various cultures, of really Asian cultures, of, um, you know, different, uh, ethnic groups and how this all, all relates to each other and also how how you can bring this, you know, different perspectives. So, mm -hmm. you know, these days, like, we all want the quick and easy um, fix, the quick and easy answer, um, you know, and kind of we're searching for the black and white, but the reality that, you know, it is that, you know, most most issues are not black and white. They're much more complicated and we have to bring different perspectives and different mm -hmm. voice in the conversation. Um, so I grew up during a really interesting time. I was um, old enough to remember um, bits of the communism and young enough to like not have that 
mentality and imprint in my um, psyche mm-hmm. as you know some of the you know um, older generations. So I, I do remember very vividly when the system fell down and you know we were going on the streets and till late at night and protesting and um, you know being really excited about democracy um, and it was really exciting times and it was very you know it was exciting it was challenging times there was you know a lot of hope in the air a lot of anxiety as well you know because the future is unknown but it also was the time of like this early very early stages of um people really um seized the moment and created their own opportunities because we you know we grew up from a you know, most people grew up in, in a time where you were not, you, you were conformed to the system. You could not have your own business. You couldn't have a creative freedom of expressions. You couldn't, you know, if you were men, you couldn't wear longer hair. You know, you couldn't dress all these ways. So it was just this absolute flourishing of like businesses and opportunities. And, um, but you know, it also created its own challenges because of these uncertainties we went to, like, you know, growing up, like tri- triple digit inflation and a lot of economical turmoil. So what that taught me is like, you know, to see really to always evolve, always change and always look for, for opportunities, even if they don't exist. And, you know, just when I graduated from high school, there was just nothing for me. Uh, where I could plug in, you know, so, or at least that I wanted to. <laughs> well, what time, what time period was this? So transition? we're talking about, um, well, the communist system fell down in 1989. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about that period. I was really young. I was like second grade, but, you know, let's say the period of 1989 to um, when I started the hostel was 1997. Mm-hmm. I graduated from high school in 97, so I started the hostel. So when and, you were in second grade, how, you know, or that, that, that beginning time period when it started to shift, how aware were you of that shift to democracy at that age? I mean, was it really... Well, it's really interesting because actually for me, for me it happened much earlier, hmm. uh, before even the system fell down. Like I had a glimpse through, you know, magazines and catalogs, uh, you know, people bringing Coca-Cola or like chocolates from the Western world. Yeah. And I realized that there's just, there's a different way of being. There's a word out there that it's more beautiful and um it just felt to me um there's something bigger and better and this is you know the word i live right at this moment um you know it's not defining me and Mm -hmm. i was very from very early age i was determined that i would get out of there and i had no idea that we're talking about i was probably kindergarten Mm. that's the time period we're talking i had no clue what any of these systems or you know democracy and communism and things i just knew there was something bigger and better out there and i made promise to myself i actually remember the moment sitting in this bus stop that i will get out of the out of, out of there wow. it's um, like a pop culture window like the, the pop culture getting in you know it starts to show something that there's more it's interesting yeah, and kind of relates back to like I just read your um recent your latest um Substack um article and about the creatives and you feel like you never fit. And I never felt I I come from a very small town. Well, not very small, it's you know, it's mid-sized town in uh, northern Bulgaria. And I never felt I fit there. Uh I never felt I fit in, in the town. I Later, you know, I moved to the capital, went to English high school. And also, you know, it was more cosmopolitan, but I also felt that, you know, I I didn't fit there either. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to to go and, and you know, experience a, a totally new way of thinking and new system. And that's where I, I set my eye on the States, not, not even going to Europe to study, but, you know, I wanted to go to university in the States because it was a completely different 
mentality, you know, that can-do mentality, at least from the outside perspective, that's what it felt like. The sky was the limit. You could really um, become something. And um, it just really resonated with me. The idea really resonated with me. And that was my goal. I was just fixated on this. Of course, you know, growing in this situation, you know, I didn't, it was an insane dream because I don't come from money. Uh, it was really, you know, it's really um, um, expensive to go to university, as we all know in the States. Yeah. But I was, when I'm going back and just the power of the mind and the mindset, and, you know, later when, you know, if you talk about, you know, creativity and care is just how powerful it's our mind. And sometimes we don't know how we're going to get there. But if you continue walking that path, in my case, I was, I consider myself lucky things work out for me. But for me, it was never a doubt. For me, it was not either or. There was no other way. Uh, I was going to do that. And everyone thought I was, re- you know, crazy that I need to come down from the sky and go enroll in university in Bulgaria. And I just absolutely refused. It was all or nothing. Where do you think that comes from in your life? I mean, I know you talk about growing up at a time of great change, um, but are there other places, your family, you know, your, your, where does that, where did, or just come, where does that come from for you that hmm. feeling to do that? Do you have any idea? I really don't know. No. I don't know where it comes from because we've had it. Yes. Um, I mean, sometimes I don't know exactly whether it comes from a, some ancestral <laughs> traits, but, um, sometimes we just come up with our own thing and our own drive. And, um, I, yeah, I, I don't know where it comes from. It's a, good, it's a good question. <laughs> That's one of those ones that um, there are certain things that I know that I just was born with that I, I don't know where they came from, certain drives to do things. And I've tried to dig into that as well. And and I think we all have some piece of that, um, especially when we have children and people say, oh, they sometimes seem like they come out fully formed. They already are people. They already have. They're not they're not a blank canvas. We're We're not born, you know, to be molded. We already have things. We we do, and it's also probably a lot has to do with the environment you mm-hmm. um, how how it affects it's 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 bought, but there's something definitely we're born with. Yeah. Um, but it's also the environment how um, how it shapes us. So I want to talk about like you know we t- you were mentioning going to uh, college in the states, but then we also have have talked about the fact that your pathway has been a little bit flip flopped on its head. So you didn't go to college right from the um, the high school. You did something else. Yeah. So after um, after I graduated, um, you know, and I realized, you know, what, what now? You know, you don't have money. There's no really jobs. Like, what do you do? And um, when I was 16, I was I, I left the country for the first time. I went to Austria um on a on a trip and mm-hmm. we stayed at the hostel and uh I thought it was amazing, you know, all these young people and um long story short, um, you know, I, I decided to um to open a hostel in Bulgaria that was, you know, uh, the first international youth hostel in the capital. Well it's actually in Bulgaria. And kind of like it came out from this necessity of you know you had you had to figure something out there was no other hostel in bulgaria at that time or not a youth hostel not a hostel for backpackers like we know it there was something kind of like called little huts and things like that you know there were like little rooms you can rent but that was also the time where foreigners were charged double Mm -hmm. if they uh Double the rate for for Bulgarians, let's say, so to stay in a hotel. So there were not even many even 
Protel options. Right now, there's a lot of everything, but back then there was, you know, pre-internet era. Um, you know, my focus was, yeah, backpackers. Um, and yeah, so, um, that's how the idea was born. And, you know, with the, I mean, with the help, obviously back then, you know, uh, as I said, you know, I don't come from money. I didn't, ha- we didn't have savings to open something like that. So, um, I found an uh, angel investor and, um, how did you start it? How did you do that? Even that, that's something today people, well, how do you find an angel investor back then in Bulgaria? How do you even know to do that? Well, I actually didn't know. <laughs> that's what you even call them. But, um, I was at this party for at the um, American embassy. Port of July party. And that's how I met this woman. She was the doctor of, um, the Peace Corps. She was American. Well, she is still American. You know, we're very good friends to this day. Um, and you know, that's how things happen. And, uh, of course, back then there was no contract. There was no, you know, in nothing like nothing official like this. So. You know, it's really interesting. I mean, we also became very good friends. Um, but what's interesting is that I don't know how many years after we opened the, um, the house though, um, I gave her back the, the money, the loan. And she told me that she, when she gave me this money, she, when she invested in the house, she never really thought she would see this money back. <laughs> um, so that in itself felt um very good because you know i mean it was it was hard you know it was one one person operation and trying you know didn't know anything about marketing or accounting or any of these fancy business terms i had no clue what what that is but i knew how um to make people welcome yeah. and to create this kind of Oasis and um, special place, and to make people feel special, and that's what you know. I ended up, um, I ended up um, uh, in all tourist guides, you know, Lonely Planet and rough guides, and then everything after two, three years, you know, just the door open up and flood. Because back to like to that point was month to month. Like, are we going to survive this month or not? You know, am I going to have money to pay the rent and the bills or not? How many years did you, did you run the hostel? Um, Two, three years full time. I think it was three years, two and a half. Uh, And, you know, when I was there full time, full, full time, I was living there, working there. Um, it, I, you know, the, it was still kind of, you know, month to month, like, are we really gonna pull it out this month? Yeah. And when I left, um, to, to come to study to the, in the States, um, I left it to my mom and my best friend. So they were running it and they actually reaped the benefits of all the work because at that point, you know, it was featuring all travel guides and, you know, everything just, just flooded and opened. The business just flourished. And I'll go back, uh, every summer during the high season. I would, I would go back there and, uh, help and run it. And, you know, from afar, you know, at back at that point, all the, you know, the internet called up, you know, yeah. uh, booking stuff like this. So I was helping a lot with, with marketing, but, um, yeah. Well, I think that would fundamentally, without even knowing the theories and stuff, you know, I was doing a lot of things intuitively. So, which goes back to the lesson, probably I, I learned it. Sometimes the, the more tools we have, the more data we have, the more knowledge we have, it could be also crippling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just kind of don't, don't overthink it. And, and, and it also comes from a point when you have, um, nothing to lose, meaning like you had to make this work because, you know, you had to, <laughs> you had no choice. Yeah. And, no, were worse. and there weren't any. Um, 
Well, I mean, they were, but, you know, it's not work I necessarily wanted to do. You know, I didn't want to be um, a PA. I didn't want to be a waitress. Um, there were, you know, it was very, there was not a lot of opportunities. I said, right now it's very different, a totally different world. But again, I said, when I, when I grew up, it wasn't like that um, when I was young. But yes, yeah, so... That was the yeah the biggest probably lesson. It's like don't overthink it and just keep going and keep going and wake up and it was hard and just you know eventually things would hopefully shine up and the doors would open and your your hard work will, will pay off. I said, what happened to the hostel? Um, well, it's closed, um, you know, because then my mom came to the states and yeah, we we close the business but at that point also when we closed the business there were a lot of you know a lot of hostels uh, opened and there was a lot of different options uh, so I mean the market had obviously changed quite quite a lot but um, but you were part of that change yes yes you were a big part of that change yeah that's uh, so then from there you close. You stopped working there to go to university. Yes. So that was, you know, always my my dream, my kind of end goal. And during this time was, it's interesting because the the hostel, even though it it got successful and I could have grown up, you know, eventually grew up. Like we uh, we expanded the business. You know, I could. I was thinking maybe you know, it could have even go in like franchise and become really big yeah but to me that was I always thought you know that came easy that was not um somehow I didn't translate this as a success Mm -hmm. back then Uh, I always brushed it off maybe that's the reason probably I don't even talk about it a lot Mm -hmm. um but you know my end goal was always to um to go to university in the states that was my dream I'm very, very young. It ends up being a stepping stone. Yes, it was a totally stepping stone. Absolutely a stepping stone. Um, and yeah, that was, um, sometimes it's interesting how we get fixated on one thing and things don't work out. And we go a different way. And, you know, when we're in the midst of all of this, we don't, we don't see, you know, why. <laughs> things are like this why it's happening but then at the end when you cross you go on the other side you realize things happen for a reason and and yeah I'm very grateful for that experience well when you talk about being finding yourself at these crossroads these kind of inflection points then you also find yourself at you know like a crossroads where you have to make a choice you know so not just the intersection of say east and west or whatnot but to me, that represents choice. Yes. It's also loaded with um, a, lot, a lot of scary stuff, a lot of fear, a lot of um, responsibility, you know, because you have to make a choice. It's not being made for you. Um, you know, and that, that, that choice to, you know, you could have taken the hostel in this direction and really grown it. Very similar to what, what could have happened with structure event as a conference had the opportunity to really grow it and chose not to go that direction. So you chose not to go that direction because there was something else that you wanted to explore, something else you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, And I think that when I chose to, when I went to university, for me, that was not a choice because that was always the end game. Mm -hmm. For me, after I graduated from university, there was a, that was the choice. Whether I go back, to Bulgaria and grow the business or invest in my life here. And that was the crossroads. And to be honest with you, you know, kind of when I say I did everything in reverse order in my life, you know, I I finished university and, you know, I had this, you know, went through, you know, got full scholarships. Um, I was the rising star, you know, even got a scholarship to go and get an MBA, but I had to work for two years and, graduate father victorian and i was gonna be this businesswoman uh, you know 
climbing, climbing the corporate ladder and I graduated and I had to pause and I was at this crossroads. It's like, but, but what do you really want to do? And I, I realized that that's, there is a big resistance in me that I did not want to do that. I did not want to go and work for, you know, big corporation and, uh, climb that ladder. And why is that? (laughs) Because after I graduated, as I said, like my, my dreams was always to go to the, to, to study in the States. And I, I fulfilled that dream. Um, I, I excel in it. Um, and then I, I finished university and I realized that I actually, my dreams stopped there and, and I didn't know what to do next. Yeah. And I was questioning a lot of stuff. Like I was questioning, you know, lifestyle and yeah, like for the first time I felt I had a choice. And it was crippling because again, going back from Bulgaria, I had no choice. Very almost, I mean, we always have a choice, but they were like very, very limited choices. And in the States was the opposite. Like you had too many choices. Which road do you take? It was almost crippling when you come from no choice. And when you were coming from Bulgaria, you had already made the choice. You already knew what choice you wanted. I knew. Yes. I knew that. that. Yeah. And then when um, you did it, you hadn't gone further in deciding what. Yes, yeah, and just like, what do I do now? What's next? Because I, I kind of, you know, I, I again, I thought it's always like what was expected from you, right? You had to like be very practical. Again, coming from that background, like you know, if you look at what Eastern Europeans study back then, you know, it was all the practical stuff: um, accounting, economics, doctors, lawyers. Yeah. Um, and I actually studied international business because, you know, in college, everything was so interesting to me that I had a really hard time picking up something I was interested in. So in college, I was interested in art, uh, history. I was interested in like, you know, I took economics and I just loved it. So, uh, for the first time, you had all these choices. You could be whatever you wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And that was a totally new concept for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that point, I had no idea that there was a whole creative field. And I never thought myself as creative. Um, I thought that creative field, it's only reserved for designers. And I'm not, I can't draw. Therefore, I'm not creative. And that was it. Uh, I never went to explore uh, what other options there are. So I started international business because of the international aspect. You had to study a language. I love languages. I love cultures. I like observing cultures. I like all of this. So, uh, you know, international business was this combo degree, which gave you a taster of all these disciplines. And, uh, yeah, so I, I finished university and, um, I actually had to look myself like, what, what, you know, what Sveti wants to do? And I didn't know. And, you know, I went travel. They, for the first time, I did something non practical. I, always wanted to learn Italian. So I went to Italy and I studied Italian for the pure pleasure of it, you know, um, and kind of like one thing led to the other. And, you know, I, I had a, a dear friend of mine and she, um, was a designer and she told me, well, you know, there's a whole field out there, create a field where you don't have to be a designer. And that kind of set me and I started researching and, what I want to do. And, you know, we ended up moving, uh, to Portland and obviously this is the mecca of the outdoor active, um, industry. And I decided that's what I wanted to do. This episode was brought to you by the Functional Fabric Fair powered by Performance Days, the premier trade show for performance fabrics and materials. Since 2018, the Functional Fabric Fair has been providing a unique, highly curated trade show experience in the performance materials space, aimed at providing customers with the very best options to create the highest level products in the market. Having a strong focus on education and sustainability, the Functional Fabric Fair is committed to tackling the biggest issues we face today in regards to product manufacturing and our environment. 
With five shows throughout the year from Portland to New York City to Munich, you're sure to find what you need at the Functional Fabric Fair and Performance Days. How did you um, get into that conversation with your friend who is the designer? Like, what prompted her to even say that to you about creative fields? Were you talking about that? Yeah, because at that time, again, I graduated. I was going back to the hostel. I was traveling. But, you know, I just kind of was this crossroads. And she was starting her own swimwear business, actually. Um, You know, it's it's very successful. It's called Mauritius Swim. Um, But then... You know, that was the time when she was just starting the business and I was trying to figure out <laughs> what I want to do. And yeah, she was um, it's like, hey, you know, check out this university. There's like, you know, even degrees like um, merchandising or um, um, business for, uh, for fashion, you know, because you study business. What if, you know, you use it for, in the fashion world? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, great. You know, I'm going to go get my master's in Italy and um in fashion management and you know i just had these ideas but you know that was 2008 and the economy tanked and um that put an end to this dream and it's like okay i'm not in the fashion capital but you know i'm in portland oregon and this is the outdoor active so let's what we can do here had you been interested in fashion before you were talking about you know, light uh, magazines, Coca-Cola, kind of having that exposure to some of that pop culture when you were younger. Never, never been, you know, never, they didn't even know actually much about fashion. Mm-hmm. That was something, mm-hmm. again, growing up, we were like the original <laughs> thrifters, you know, we would go to like secondhand stores because not only because it was cheaper, but because it was different um, you know, it was not just whatever you had in the store. So it was, no, crazy. I never considered myself being in the fashion kind of no, or like, you know, yeah, it was not a thing. I was going to actually, I was going to be working in the word bank. I was going to be saving the world. That was my mindset. We <laughs> I went to like, yeah. That humanitarian piece, you know, you've talked about that as well, you know, that you have always really been um, focused on, you know, the humanitarian, like really thinking about people and doing the right thing and doing good things and doing positive things for people. Um, and that you ended up studying international business and and moving more in that direction, you know. Yeah, again, as I said, for me, it was always been really hard to pinpoint exactly what I want. Need to study because everything it's so I'm so curious, naturally super curious, which um kind of like actually two things happened in college which set me up back then I again I didn't realize, but um one was you know my one of my favorite classes was economics for developing uh it was called economics for the developing world and I was fascinating with this like oh my god this is for the first time I felt like you can use business principles to do good and help people. And I was really interested in this field. And the other things which set me to kind of the seeds of what I'm, what I'm doing right now is one of my professors um, in one of my classes, management classes, we had to write a research paper like we were going to publish it in an academic journal. And that was actually my true first research research paper where you had to come with a thesis which is very original it's not just a paper but you know you had to present some originality and I pour all my heart and soul in this project and um, my thesis apparently was very interested for him it was about radical innovation and total quality management Mm -hmm. Um, and he really liked what I did and he proposed to me, you know, to co-author a paper together uh, and publish it in a, in a journal and end up getting published in a business journal. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of like my final, one of my final projects in college. And yeah. you know, he really encouraged me to go into research and get my PhD. But, you know, I also knew like I love research, but I love people. I, I don't see myself as just sitting and researching I like to interact with people. I like to observe people. I like to study people. I like to be kind of also in the action. But looking back, you know, reflecting on this, this is kind of like where 
um, where some of my research kind of skills started. Mm -hmm. Well, this is the kind of stuff I love talking about with all creatives, you know, because a lot of us find ourselves in those places of not being able to choose what we want to do, you know, where, where should we go? I've always been really envious of people who are, I knew I wanted to be this, you know, and, and that's what they did um, because that was never me either. And, you know, being able to study all of these different things and learn about yourself through it, you know, discover that you have a talent and ability for the research and that you could go in this direction, but to know that there were other pieces that you needed, you know, the connecting with people and, and, and different. So it leads you down another path, but you take a piece of that path with you every time you go down a path and then you're forming your own path as you do. And so sometimes we can feel like I'm jumping from thing to thing and I can't decide what I'm doing. And if I just stuck with something, I'd be able to build on this ladder is is often what we're told to do or, you know, encouraged to do. And um, it doesn't it does that it doesn't work for me. And um, and I can see how that research has worked its way into what you do now and why you're really good at what you do now and what you'll continue to do in the future, but finding your way to do it, how you want to do it, you know? Yes. And, you know, it's really interesting because usually when you're, the things we're really good at, they come and the things which come easy for us, you know, no matter what you do, if you're accountant or creative or anything. So the things which come easy to us, we, tend to at least I tend to think that you know I just brush them off that's just Mm -hmm. you know that's just something I do Mm -hmm. and um but you know it's again kind of like quieting down and and just doing little introspect and looking at kind of really ask these deep questions but you know what you really want to what you really want to do and it's it's hard you know because it's not a set path like Probably up to the hostel, even to the university, I was on a, I always knew what I wanted, go get it. Like I knew I was going to get, I knew there was a bigger word. I was, you know, I wanted to get my education. I was, I had a very strong North Star Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I went for it. And after that, things have not been like this for me. Uh, they've been more exploratory, more fluid, not, not very, you know, not, not such a straight path. Um, yeah. It's more like uh, feeling, searching, finding out, being very flexible. Um, but, you know, that also comes at the cost <laughs> that, you know, if you're on a, this trajectory, like you're, you're moving towards something, you're building upon something, you probably, you know, things are more straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, mentally and probably financially. And for me, it's, I'm, as I said, like I'm always a seeker, always a searcher, always, you know, learning, evolving what's next. And, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of notice like I do something for a while and then it's time to change and flip the whole, the whole thing. And you start. <laughs> It feels like you start from the beginning and you don't start from the beginning. As you said, like you, you build up one thing leads to another, even though it might not seem related. Um, it sounds very much like it correlates with the world of trend research, which is never ending. It's always changing. And right when you get to one place, it's already moved on to another where you've kind of landed where you are right now and evolving. And I want to jump to that piece and how you got from that transition place from getting out of school, finding your your career direction, because you also like once you did, I mean, I see, I see, I see a theme here of you set your intention on where you want to go and you get there even when you're not sure and it just keeps going and changing, but you set your intention on where you wanted to work next and you got there and you built your own role. You didn't even know what you would necessarily be doing and you fell into what you're doing now or what you were doing for them. And you built that role 
want to jump to that. Talk a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because, again, in Portland, I, I kind of put a list back then, the companies I wanted to work based on just what I've researched. I didn't know anything about it. You know, I didn't know anything about the outdoor industry. I like being outside, but I had no idea about the outdoor industry. And the first company on my list, and I found that journal or notebook like years after that, was Icebreaker. And ironically, I ended up working for Icebreaker. Again, very, you know, I had no experience. Um, and I was absolutely, once I read the story, uh, you know, I fell in love with uh, Jeremy Moon's The Founder Story. I felt very, I felt that his story, how he started the business was in some way similar to my story. And I could relate to this. And I and said, I want to, I, I want to work for this company. You know, yes, they have a great product and all that stuff. But it was for me, it wasn't the product. It was about this, the story. How did you find, how did you know about them to begin with? How did you find them? How did they jump out? To- uh, it was, I mean, the store here, there was, a, you know, there's still a store. Um, and I really liked what actually caught my attention was the imagery, the controversial icebreaker imagery where, you know, in, in US was controversial, but in the rest of the world was, you know, very well received and what made the brand stand out from the sea of sameness, you know, you know, whether you liked it or not, it was, it was a brilliant, brilliant, um, um, creative direction. Yeah. And, um, so yes, I did, I had no contacts, nothing, you know, you know, my husband was working for Kin Footwear and he was like, Oh, I met someone at Icebreaker. You should talk to her. Mm-hmm. And I talked to her. It's like, Hey, there's no, no jobs right now, but call me in, uh, in two months. I might have something. So I started doing projects for them. Um, there was no job like, uh, you know, the traditional interview way, which Defined role with a to, title. I was just thinking the other day, I've actually never been hired through a traditional process mm-hmm. i've never had at icebreaker i was there for almost nine years i never submitted a resume or had an interview <laughs> um because i realized that you know i do better i shine better through my actions like if i can do a project or something versus talking about myself uh which is a whole another subject of cultural differences but you know that's yeah. another another thing so um yeah, so I started doing projects for them, and um, Jeremy Moon, the founder, was there, and he wanted me to organize this leadership summit, really short notice, and I I did it. And it went, you know, he was so impressed that it went from there's no job to, like, we want to hire you, what do you want to do? And that was the beauty of this of the company was back at the time, because it was so you know it had this entrepreneurship spirit you know it was um you could create opportunities and see opportunities where they don't exist and plug in and um you know it was very very organic and felt very natural to me to kind of what i used to do with the hostel so i didn't know what i wanted to do so i spliced these two rows together like half time in product and half time in marketing um, and you had the the event was successful because of how you approached creating the environment for everyone, right? Yes, and it's all about for me. It's kind of going back to probably the hostel, you know, the hospitality part of it and the details and making people feel special. But it's especially for me. It's always been because I used to do a lot of events. You know, I um, uh, you know I organized all the trade shows, all the sales meetings. That was you know part of my job um but it's always a special touch you know that special note or that little gift or how you wrap it and you know just make people feel special and they they you know they would recognize and feel that mm-hmm. and it's the details because the big stuff it's expected it's expected everything to go fluid you know the check-in and all these things but it's knowing the culture knowing you kind of going back to like observing asking questions what resonates with people and trying to execute it and if you don't know how find the people who are the experts to 
help you out. You know, I didn't know what, what was the trendy restaurants and stuff in San Francisco, but I tapped into a network to tell me this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And so that's how I started my career at Icebreaker and, um, all the roles I had there, I created them myself. No one had them before. Um, so when I started with Icebreaker, specifically on the product side, I was going to trade shows. Um, and one of my first trade show was the outdoor retailer. And I saw Janine speak. She was back then with, um, Styles. No. Yeah. Styleside. Styleside. Style, yeah. This is Janine Pesh. Yes. Janine Pesh. She's the founder of Range. Yeah. And I, that was my first experience with the trend world. And I was just so fascinated that at this moment, I had no idea what this is, but that was a hundred percent me. It resonated and I knew right there and then that's what I wanted to do. I got mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you get these goosebumps, you know, I'm a highly sensitive person, but like when you get these goosebumps, even now speaking to it, yeah. I get it. It's like kind of designs. It's like, that's it. So I didn't know anything about this field. I didn't know this was even a job. I mean, even to this day, now it's more popular, but even to this day, it's still so habited. You know, it's very close in the community. It's very hard to get in. Um, so I started doing um, trade show reports. You know, I would walk the floor, take photos and, you know, attend all this conference and summarize everything up in presentation and would and would give the presentation to, um, uh, uh, to the team. And this presentation, then, you know, I'll go to like marketplaces and I do the same. And th- this presentation got so popular, uh, that more and more people from different departments start coming and mm-hmm. attending. Mm-hmm. And back then I knew there was a really big hunger in the organization for, um, insights and trends, which um, which are kind of tailored to what we do, you know, which can inform not just product, but, you know, um, um, marketing on other, you know, retail strategies. So there was a big hunger for this because yes, even back then when you subscribe to these big services like WGSN, active outdoor was not even on the map. That was not a topic interesting to them mm-hmm. at all. Uh, even active was not even in the game so much. Uh, so this, you know, this, there was a really big niche for, you know, and, and appetite for this. So I started doing more and more of this. And I also started doing consumer focus groups and consumer insights, you know, travel around the world doing this. So I combined both of this together. And I knew at this point that I wanted to create this role based on this. And I started pitching the role and entertaining the role, wrote my own job, this job description, and I ended up getting promoted um, to this. And then, you know, obviously things got involved. Um, eventually that became even, you know, it got more elevated with uh, the new uh, consumer. Uh, oh my God, what do you call them? Uh, chief marketing officers. Mm-hmm. You know, it was became more and more important in the organization. So it left just being a function of uh, product to inform strategy, to inform, um, you know, strategic uh, planning and decisions. So uh, that was, it was very central. And it was really good to, um, that, you know, I was run at this point with leaders who saw that value um, and elevated and the, the, the role and the voice of this role. This is, is this speaks very much to why you call yourself, you know, a, a strategist versus just a trend researcher or you know, trend forecaster. But you know, that is a big piece of what you do, which is working with companies directly on not just what are the trends out there and um, what's coming, and and but you look at their place in that, their their place in the bigger picture and the mark that they can make and you help them build that strategy, correct? Yeah, because yes, all the, even the, the 
projects I work on right now, or even back in with Icebreaker, was very tailored to specific brief, which had to inform the specific strategy and specific outcomes. So it wasn't just the trends; it was, um, yes, kind of tailoring this to what it what it is all means for 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 the industry, but for us as a business or for this creative brief. Uh, how you can tackle because there are different tools in the toolbox. Like, you know, that's another thing. I have a really hard time defining that title because, you know, everyone wants to put you in a box and mm-hmm. the cleaner, the smaller the box, the easier is for everyone to go and pick different boxes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, kind of like I, I, I have more tools in my, um, in my uh in my tool set it's you know i don't just do trends insights you know there's also kind of like the strategy the market um intelligence piece the consumer focus groups and consumer research and ethnographic research i mean there's just all these different disciplines that are not just based on trend um trend research scenario planning foresight and for the outside person it may just seem so the same thing but they're quite quite different and usually people specialize in one of these. And are, um, and companies usually, I actually haven't really worked with a company that has hired, uh, has had a trend, you know, researcher or, or strategist in them. And so I, I don't, what, when, when companies hire for them, what are they usually looking for? I mean, there, there may be. I mean, I see more and more companies. Icebreaker was very unusual at the time because, and even now, because it was a fairly small company and they invested in, in someone like me, uh, to bring this intelligence into the process. And that was very, uh, you know, kind of ahead of their times. Mm-hmm. Um, because, now you see it more and more. There's more jobs um, and more companies are hiring roles like this. You know, they call them different things, mm-hmm. uh, but it's the same stuff. Um, so, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> I guess it was more like um, realizing I didn't know I had a question in there for this. But, um, you know, what what are companies looking for when they when they are hiring for that? Because there may be people who are hiring, say, you for what you do. But if companies are hiring for um, for some sort of trend research strategy, what what are they looking for? Are they looking for somebody to do the research and just come and present it? Are they looking for somebody to help with strategy? Do you see what do you see the most? Oh, you mean like full-time hiring or is a, Maybe, is a I mean, or are they full-time? Are they looking for, what are people looking for? I mean, what are you seeing? I mean, it depends on the company, but, you know, the bigger companies, they have a division of people who do data analysis and market intelligence and, you know, crunch numbers. Uh, there's a whole division school only do consumer research. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a division or function, which does trends, you know, whether it's product trends, cultural, societal trends. Um, so all get, you know, depending on the size of the company, they could be like totally separate entities. Um, so, you know, there's, again, I'm seeing quite a, quite a hunger and demand for, um, insights. Um, in terms of like, as a consultant, what they're hiring is just really depends on the project. If you're working, you know, what's, what's the brief kind of a thing. But, um, I would say what I'm seeing, the trend I'm seeing right now is if you're working as a consultant and you're not part of the big trend companies, they don't want just trends because they can go, there's so many trends and, you know, most of these companies subscribe to trends. So there's, they're, they're over to here with trends. They just want very, you know, trend specific to them, what it means for them, how they can, and, and, you know, what's the glide path? Okay. These are the trends. What does it mean for me? I mean, a very tailored approach. It's almost like, it's almost like, you know, and also they're hiring for your spin and for your mind and for your creativity. 
Um, and that's ultimately what every trend person or strategist or creative, whatever you want to call it, brings, you know, when they do the research, maybe the trends are the same. We're all seeing the same stuff, but your spin, your interpretation and how you deliver it, it's what makes it unique to, to, um, and differentiates, um, us. But kind of like going back a little bit, it's like in the past where it's like, you were all trying to dig and find the trends, you know, how we can, you know, what's the next big thing. And right now it's almost the opposite. Like how, ma- how many, back then was how many trends I can put in my basket? How, you know, how can I find more and more and more? Now it's like how, there's so much happening in the moment, so much happening that it's actually what you leave out, what you filter, it's becoming more important. Filter added, filter added simplicity laser sharp focused because i've seen so many decks and decks and decks of information and it's just somehow it doesn't relate and it's also how you delivered lately like my biggest thing has been you know how you make people to feel the future because you know we've kind of the pendulum in the trend field has gone heavily swayed to data uh, lately the last years you know it was data, data, data driven. And data is important. I'm not saying data is not important, but there's also intuition and feeling. And, you know, if you put a lot of numbers on a page, they don't necessarily make you move. Sometimes they probably make you paralyzed. But it's how you make people emotionally connect and um, with this information so they can act, so they don't feel paralyzed. How How can you even feel the future? Because for people, you know, like us, it's very easy to make this connection. It's very easy to see it, but you know, it's so obvious. But again, you have to take people on this journey with you because not everyone is the same, um, the same can see these patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like lately I've been super interested in like artifacts, creating artifacts, the imagery, you know, even there's a lot of interesting stuff. And I know you know about Jane McGonagall and this, you know, simulation and, um, bringing probably more voices, more video, more immersive stuff to make you feel the future. Yeah. You talk about um, finding the white space. And, you know, I thought about, you know, at first I thought finding the white space, meaning where's the opportunity? Mm -hmm. But then as you were just talking, I thought about, it also being what you leave out. That- yes. I mean, it's actually a lot of people when you say find the white space, probably think of like innovation, truly in the sense of innovation, nothing like this exists on the market before. And it, it can be that, but oftentimes, oftentimes it's not even that innovative. It's right in front of you, just helping you to uncover it and see it more clearly. Um, and sometimes you also have to realize where it's on the kind of like the innovation curve, how early you're, you're seeing that space. Mm-hmm. So I remember I was working in a project for, for Icebreaker. I don't know how many years ago now, but we had to reinvent hike and, you know, completely revamp it. Uh, you know, there was a new brand direction and had to match with this new brand direction to reach these new consumers. And it was probably like six years ago. I don't remember. But I was looking at the whole space, the whole outdoor active space and hike in particular. And it was all about action, you know, going, doing stuff in nature. Mm-hmm. And no one was talking about the mental aspect of being, you know, outside about, you know, and even through imagery, not just marketing campaigns, you know, product is product, you know, you can design the product, but like, what's the, the, the reason behind it to exist? And how it differentiates from the others. Why are you bringing this to the market? Yeah. Um, and it was just really was so clear to see that no one was kind of taking that mindful approach to hike and being outdoor. And that was the, the white space. Um, now, was it the right moment for the organization? It was too early. And that's why it's so important when we talk, you know, about the diffusion of innovation curve for you know early adopters and 
late adopters and laggards, it's like sometimes, you know, you, you're seeing it early and it's the right thing, but, you know, maybe not the right time for, for the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, again, it goes back to how, you know, is the organization progressive enough or, you know, adventurous enough to invest in this and make such a sharp um, veer. Um, because at the end of the day, it's all about, yeah, it's about money. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And and usually that by the time most people see it, the trend it's way probably on the way out when it becomes so obvious. Kind of the same thing happened with activewear and the whole at leisure. And by the time, you know, you decide to act upon it, like everyone has already been doing it, you know. Yeah. And by the time you can respond to it, you know, in the um the manufacturing cycles, marketing cycles, all of that, it takes so long to respond. And now it's just, you know, you've, you've, it's been moving so fast. We talked about that. We'll talk more about that in the second portion here um, about how things have been speeding up in life and self-care and all. You have been listening to Unstructured, the podcast from Structure Society. If you enjoyed this episode, please download, share, like, subscribe, and add your thoughts and suggestions in the comments. Also, please consider a Substack paid subscription to help us bring even more meaningful content and connection points to you and our creator community. Here, you'll find articles and news, as well as the podcast and additional content. We cannot grow without you. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon.